it's good to have you back for part two of two of this episode of Missionary Minds, where we're listening in to Pastor Matt White talk about chivalry in marriage. Bat in hand or whatever weapon you choose, and you run down to the front door to see what's going on. It's an aggressive love. It doesn't wait. It's, it's, it's not passive. And thus this is. And I ask you, I ask you, men, was Christ aggressive in his love? Do we see this in Christ? Consider this fact that Christ, he took the initiative. This is the beauty of sovereign grace. Christ doesn't wait for us to come forward. He comes to us. He is the aggressive one. He is the one, as Romans 5 said, while we were hellbound haters of God running from him, he runs after us. It's an aggressive love. It's one that is proactive, not passive. One that, in, that initiates, and I love this. This is so important in marriage. One that initiates and openly illustrates the love, the kindness, the gentleness. I have to deal with this in the States quite often with men, where they'll say, Pastor, I don't know why my wife's upset. I walked, I, I married her, and the day we walked down the, or she walked down the aisle, I told her I loved her, and I've never changed. I've never changed. So why do I have to keep telling her? Because she deserves to be told over and over again. Because that's what a self-sacrificing love does. It thinks of the needs of others. You may not need to be told, but she's a woman. She needs to be told often. And think about it. How much does Christ tell us he loves us? How often does he illustrate that? Uh, Every time you open the book? It's nonstop. It's an aggressive love. He keeps showing. He keeps illustrating. And so must the husband do. So must the man of chivalry. It's an aggressive love. It's a costly love. If you're going to love sacrificially, then you're going to love with a cost. Chivalry will cost you, men. Chivalry in the home will cost you everything. Where you die. Our brother said it earlier right here. Our bro- I can't pronounce your name yet, brother, but I'm going to try. Yeah, Milabachu. I I butchered it, I know, but I'm trying. But our brother here said it a little bit ago, right? He said it. He talked about the reality of his children. He talked about the reality of, of desiring his children. Joseph said it as well. Joseph, you said it. You said it a minute ago. I heard you. That when you became a father, everything else died. Isn't that what you said? Yes, I got you guys confused. Forgive me. It was Joseph that said it. Everything else died. You know what he was saying? Right here, what I'm saying to you, that he was choosing to love his wife and his children sacrificially. He was dying to himself as we're commanded to do daily, Luke chapter nine. He was dying to himself again. And that's what chivalry is. Chivalry at the end of the day is dying to yourself moment by moment for the love of others. And that's what our brother Joseph was saying. He's dying to himself for the love of his children, for the love of his wife. He said for the three of them, if you picked up on it, his children and his wife. I would say for the four, his children, his wife, and his Lord. He's dying for them. That's, that's it. That's a mark. That's a model. That's a picture for you men. That's what we're talking about. And again, Christ came. He came not to be served, but to serve. Brothers, this is such a vital aspect This reality of loving sacrificially. Loving sacrificially will always cost you. I will tell you, Christ-like service will always cost you. 
There's a great illustration of this, of David in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24. After he had sinned in counting the army, and God finally is gracious to him and, and, and tells him, okay, if you offer a, a sacrifice on the threshing floor of Arnon, then I will the pestilence will subside. So he goes to this the, the house of Arnon, which ends up being the place of Jerusalem, and he goes there to build the threshing floor. And, and this man, Arnon, says, hey, you can have my threshing sledges. You can have my threshing floor. You're the king. You do whatever you want. You're my king. And David says, no, no, no. That's not how this works. He says, I will never offer the Lord something that costs me nothing. There is a powerful principle of chivalry in that. There's a powerful principle in worship in that, that we don't offer the Lord just anything. We offer the Lord everything. And when it comes to loving our wives in, a grac- in, a, in an aggressive way, in a self-sacrificial way, it's going to cost us everything. It's a selfless love, one that sees, listen to this, if you're going to love your wife, if you're going to have this mark of chivalry that is self-sacrificial, then you have to understand this fact right here. Love's ultimate mission is meeting the needs of others. You can tell when you're truly loving someone, when you get nothing out of it except this, that you are joy-filled when the needs of that other person are met. That is loving like Christ, because that's what he did. His greatest mission was to meet our greatest need. That's why Christ came to earth, to meet our greatest need of sin. And thus you see the illustration of Christ in all of this, right? By this we know love, 1 John, that Christ laid down his life for us, and so we must lay down our lives for one another. So if you're going to have this mark of chivalry, you're going to love your wife, number one, which way? Solemnly. Solemnly. You're going to love your wife, number two, which way? Sacrificially. Sacrificially. You're going to lay your life down. Remember, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Christ became poor that we might become rich. That is, again, a perfect picture of what we as husbands or future husbands must think. We become poor. We set ourselves aside. We set our desires, our hobbies, our loves, our joys, our delights, of which they may not be wrong or sinful. It's just not the right time. But we set them aside so that our wives may be rich so that our children may be rich, so that our children may see Christ in us. Number three, you're not only going to love solemnly and sacrificially, but you're also going to love love your wife like Christ loved the church graciously, graciously. And this flows out of really the rest of the passage where Christ looks to the sanctifying nature of, of the church, where Christ graciously gives not only of his life, but Literally, he gives everything so that the church might grow and might grow to become like him, know him, and enjoy him forever. This is, to love your wife graciously is an unconditional love. That's what we're talking about here. It's a love that is unconditional. It's a love that loves no matter what. You're going to have times in your life with your wife and your future wife where it's not going to be easy to love either because of your sin or her sin or both of your sins. But I will tell you this, that Christ-like love does its greatest work when the other person is at their worst. That's when 
you pour the love of Christ on. When that other person is running away, you run after them in love. When that other person is is cutting you down with words that are derogatory and demeaning and not showing respect, you show them love. When that other person is not being gracious, you be gracious. This is the model. This is the blessing. This is what it means to love unconditionally. You make a commitment to your wife till death do you part, and you never leave. This is, the, this is the ultimate act of chivalry, where you will die on your sword for your family. Even if that means living in this marriage with all of its difficulty, with all of its problems, and those may not even be sin-ridden. They may be, they may be just sickness. They may be poverty. It may be disease. I spent, before I even came, left for Africa, I had to spend two nights in the hospital without sleep, tending to my father-in-law. It's not my father, my wife's father. Tending to my father-in-law because my mother-in-law has a, has a disease of which she can't be left alone. And so her father needed to go into the hospital. So they called the ambulance. So my wife and I have a plan and we divide and conquer. She goes and cares for her mom. I go to the hospital and care for her dad. This is, this is loving sacrificially. This is loving unconditionally. I'm tired. I'm getting ready to get on the plane and go to Africa. I'm hurting. Did I say that to my wife? Absolutely not. I'll stay here until the minute I have to leave for the airport. And if it gets really bad, I'll call Booty Paul and say, brother, I can't come because I got to tend to my wife and her family. And I told my wife that. That's loving unconditionally. No, I got a better example. You saw Joseph, and I used him as an example already. Speak to, speak to Bodie, Bodie Tom, Elder Tom, Mr. Tom, right here. You need to speak to him and ask him what it means to love your wife unconditionally. As I walked with him, as he cared for his wife until her dying day, as he bathed her, cared for her in every way, every way you can imagine, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. And he cared for her down to her dying day. Even when she didn't recognize him, he loved her. And I was right there with him and watched it all. Such an example to me in what it means to love unconditionally. And yet, who is the ultimate example? Not me, not Tom, not Joseph, not Paul. No, Christ He loved us even when we were at our worst, even when we were turning away from him, even when we were running away from him. He loved us. Why? Because he loved us unconditionally as the father expected and commanded and planned. He loved us with a tender love, a love that was patient, a love that was kind, a love that was understanding. Yes, he did. He's the model of loving our wives in such a way. It is, in every way, a forgiving love. It's a tender love. It's a gracious love. It's a forgiving love. This is what it means to love your wife unconditionally. Think about what Christ does on the cross. (laughs) You want a picture of unconditional love? There he is on the cross, been brutally beaten, been whipped, nails through his wrists, flesh hanging off his back, He's been driven to an inch of his life physically. He's been mocked. He's been been deserted. He's hanging naked 
on a cross. He's, he's fully humiliated before all. And does he hail down cursings? Or does he, does he come off the cross and bring down fire and hailstones that he could have to consume everyone? What does he do on the cross? He prays, Father, forgive them. This is unconditional love. This is what, how we are to love our wives. This is the mark of chivalry. This is what a godly man is called to. Do you feel the weight of it? Are you starting to sink down a little lower in your chair? We think of chivalry in the medieval sense with the knights of shining armor, Sir Lancelot, right? And the swords and all of that and the shields. Okay, that's a good place to start, but we can't stay there very long because pride sets in. We need to be humbled. We need to be. Every man of chivalry I know tends to walk around more like this because he carries the weight of his wife, the weight of his children, the weight of the world on his shoulders as a godly man. And then he's dependent upon the Lord to lift him up, to strengthen him. He doesn't hold himself up by his own strength. He serves, as Colossians 1 says, by the strength that the Lord provides. So, number one, if you're going to be a man marked by chivalry, you're going to love your wife which way? Solemnly. You're going to love your wife then? And then you're going to love your wife, number three? Graciously. Graciously. Number four, if those are true and those flow out of this text... If you're going to look like Christ, live like Christ, be a man marked by chivalry that is Christ-like, you're also going to love your wife redemptively. Redemptively. This is, what does this mean? This is loving your wife in a way that rescues her. Here you go. In a way that provides for her. That's what literally redemption is. It is a provision. It's the provision of the slave market price that is paid for by Christ. And a husband must love his wife with provision on his mind, with protection on his mind. That's why I will tell you that loving your wife redemptively is a protecting love. That's why I love the motto of Jim Camp. Lead. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Protect. Yes, love her redemptively. Protect her. Protect her. It's a protecting one. Now, how, how am I to protect my wife? In every way. Every way that you can and every way that you must. First of all, you must protect your wife from sin and temptation. You must guard her. You must guard what she sees. You must guard where she goes. You must guard what she hears. You must protect her from unhealthy relationships. You must protect her from unhealthy expectations. You must protect her from spiritual complacency. You must protect her from, from her love growing cold for Christ. You must protect her. You must protect her, number one, here, by providing for her. This is the greatest way you protect is by providing. Provide for her. How do I protect her from sin and temptation? I'm glad you asked. You provide for her a spiritual environment. When something is positively filled, there's no voids for anything to come in. So you create an environment in your home that is just filled with Christ. It's saturated with Christ. So the world can't come in in any form. But if you leave any crack and crevice in your home that's not saturated, that's not filled with Christ, then what will fill that void? The world. 
sin, temptation. And so you protect your wife by providing for your wife a spiritual environment. You must lead in making your home a spiritual place of learning. I want to give you this illustration. I'm telling you, it helped me many years ago. And I pray this helps you. Okay? Write this down. You want to be the thermostat in your home, not the thermometer. What does that mean, Pastor? You're an HVAC, heating, air conditioning, ventilation guy. You understand what that means. What does that mean? Okay, I'll explain it. A thermostat controls the environment it's in. That's its purpose. It's a device on a wall that reads the environment and it keeps the temperature at the setting of that thermostat. You set the environment in your home. Whether you like it or not, you do it. You already said it. What happens when the father comes home mad, angry, frustrated? Just give it about 10 minutes and watch and see how that spreads across the family. What have you done? You are controlling the environment in your home for bad. But you want to control it for good. You want to be the one that sets the temperature of Christ-likeness. You want to be the one that sets the temperature of love. You want to be the one that sets the temperature of selflessness. You want to be the one that sets the temperature of joy so that that's, that can be the aroma of Christ. That can be the air of Christ that fills your home. What does it mean to be a thermometer? Oh, this is huge. And this is where most men are. A thermometer doesn't control the environment. A thermometer is controlled by the environment. The mercury in that thermometer goes up and down based upon where it's set. So when your children are upset and sad, or when your children are angry and mad, when your children are in sin, what do you do? You get upset. You get frustrated. You get angry. You sin. You kick the dog. You yell at your wife. You have become the thermometer. You're letting your children now control you. You're letting your situation now control you. You remain the thermostat through and through. You remain the one who's in control. That's protecting your home, protecting your wife by providing a spiritual environment of edification, of encouragement and sanctification. That's how that works. And look at the text. Christ loved the church. How? That he might be led by the church? No. That he might lead the church to where? To sanctification, to holiness, to godliness. Is Christ a thermometer or a thermostat? He is a thermostat. He sets the tone. Everything responds to Christ. He doesn't respond to anything other than the Father's will. And so must we be. And that's what it means to love your wife redemptively. Think about it now. We, we are to be men marked by chivalry. We are going to love our wives, number one, solemnly. Number two, sacrificially. Number three, graciously. Number four, redemptively. And that's a protecting love, a providing love. And then lastly, and this is huge, you must love your wife uniquely, uniquely. And I want to teach you men this. Some of you men don't have fathers, never had a father, or you didn't have a good father. And this is vital. This is one of the massive roles of a father in loving his wife before his children. He teaches, he teaches his children this, that that woman right there who is my wife matters more to me than anything because I love her with a unique, different love than I love you. I love my children. I die for my children. I've already explained that. But my children know that they better not mess with my wife. 
especially my boys. You don't dis disrespect your mother because that's my wife. That's a precious daughter of Christ. You don't go talking back to your mom. You don't look at her that way. You don't take the plate from her like that. Not at all, because that's my wife. One day you're going to grow up and have a wife, or one day you're going to grow up and leave. But that's my wife till I die. And she is a treasure of Christ. And I have a different love for her than I do for you. I love you. I'll die for you. But I don't have the same kind of love for you as I do for my wife. It's unique. It's special. It's different. And that is so vital to teach that to our children. Teach that to our sons. That this love, this chivalry, the way we treat our wives is unique. I don't treat my wife the same way I treat my teenage daughters. God forbid. That's gross. That's sinful. I treat my wife in a very special way, in a very unique way. And think about it. Doesn't Christ ultimately demonstrate that he has a unique love for his church? Doesn't he have a love for his church that is utterly unique from all other loves on the planet? Who's going to say that he loves his church the way he, John 3.16, loves the world? Not at all. Are you kidding me? He loves his church in a very special way, in a very unique way. He loves the Father even more in a very special and unique way. And so it is here. I love Bodhi Paul's children. I've, I've grown to love them even more from the first time when they stayed at my house in Maryland. But after this trip, I've loved them even more. But I have a special, unique love for my children as compared to his children. So that's how that works. And if we're going to love our wives like Christ loved the church, if we're going to be men marked by chivalry in the home, we have to make sure we understand, define, and describe our love for our wives as unique. It's different. We can't use in the same phrase, I love pizza, I love my wife. There's something wrong with that, right? Now, we can use it in sentence structure. I know it's okay to say that, but we're confusing the matter. My love for my wife is, is it, on earth, nothing can compare to it. And, and you know what? That's a gift of God's grace. And that's the way it should be. And that's the way we should think. And that's what Christ calls us to when he says, love your wife like Christ. Love the church. It's a unique love. It's one that will never end apart from death. It's one in which you abandon, not in the sense in a negative way, but you turn away from everyone else, right? We saw it in the text. A man shall leave his father and mother. That doesn't mean abandonment, but that means in priority. Now, this woman takes priority over everyone else. So when you get married, it's not no longer mom and dad. And, and now this wife gets added in, not at all. It's you and this woman and, and, and the Lord and nothing else. And then the parents are added in under God's grace and you serve them, you honor them, you love them, but you never, ever put parents above your marriage relationship. Why? Because that marriage relationship is unique. It is special. It is very profound. And that is important if you're going to love your wife like Christ loved the church. So let's review. If we're going to be men marked by chivalry in the home, then we have to learn how to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And that's going to demand, number one, we love our wives how? Solemnly. It also demands that we love our, our wives how? Sacrificially. And then number three, we're going to love our, our wives how? Graciously. Number four, we're going to love our wives? Unconditionally. Unconditionally, redemptively, right? And then lastly, big, 
unknown for most people, we're going to love our wives uniquely. uniquely. If we could latch on to these adjectival phrases and, and embed them into our hearts through this lens, this is how Christ loved us. Think about it. He loved me uniquely. He did. How? He wrote my name down in the Lamb's book of life before the world was ever created. My name. I wasn't even in existence. None of us were. But he wrote my name. He wrote your name. That's a unique love. I need to dwell on that. I need to saturate myself in that. So you want to know what it means to love your wife like Christ loved the church? Here is the calling of a man in the home in a simple, terse phrase. This is your ultimate calling in the home as a husband, as a man. You are called by God to lead in love like Christ. That's it. That's your calling. It's the weightiest calling you will ever have. It's the most important calling you will ever have. How can I say that? Because how you love your wife will directly impact how you raise your children. You, you may say, well, no, loving my children is more important. No, it's not. Because how you love your wife will directly dictate how you will raise your children and who they will be by God's grace as they follow you. But it also will directly dictate how you serve in your church. The home is the proving ground for the church. And a man is disqualified to be a deacon or an elder or a leader in the church if he does not love his wife like Christ loved the church. That's why this love, this calling is the most important reality in your life. It'll change the way you work. It'll change the way you think. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the way you live. This is why I believe if we're going to talk about chivalry, this is a really good place to start. And there's no way we can do it without knowing Christ. How do I do this, pastor? How do I love my wife this way? Get to know Christ more. Saturate your life in Christ. Swim through the stream of Christ-likeness. Be soaked, be drenching, dripping wet with the character of Christ. And you will be a man marked by chivalry in your home. You will be a man who knows how to lead his wife in love like Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this place, this night, and this text. I thank you, Lord, for giving us Christ, who helps us in all these things, who is the model, who is the picture, who is the Savior, who is the Redeemer, who is the lover of our souls. Oh, Lord God, I pray that above all else, you will take these days and make us more like Christ. Help us to see him in his sovereignty, see him in his majesty, see him in his sufficiency, and see him in his amazing self sacrificing love. Help us, Father, to see it, to savor it, and to embrace it that we might live like it. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate it and subscribe to keep posted with more upcoming content. Feel free to share this episode with someone who might find it interesting and submit any questions you may want answered in a future podcast. You can email those to paulschleyline at gmail.com. You can also visit betweentwocultures.com for other resources like this. I'm your host, Yamikani Katunga, and until next time, that's it for Missionary Minds.